0: and welcome to the Trash Tapes Podcast as part of the Enigmatic Productions Network. If you love bad cinema and incredible deep dives into cult film, then you have come to the right place. So if you like what you hear and want to support us, you can do so by donating some funds to our Buy Me A Coffee website, along with the ACAR supporter feature. All of these can be found in the description below. And now, on with the show... Johan Paul presents this honorable gift from the not-so-trash movies. Movie buffs and cinephiles, and welcome to another episode of the Not-So-Trash Reviews. My name is Johan Schiphol, your host, soundtrack addict, and appreciator of high-quality headphones. This episode is one that I'm really excited for, as I get to delve into part of the film production that I adore. Sound design. It is one that is sometimes overlooked, but has full, deep history and meaning behind the process, with a fine balance of technical skill and creative flair. Having formerly worked as a sound designer and recorder for various projects, it is a field that I still have a lot of passion for and been wanting to discuss this in detail for quite some time. And so, for this, I brought in post-sound engineer William Henley to talk shop with me, as well as analyse our film for today, Peter Strickland's sonic exploration of psychological terror, Bavarian Sound Studio.
1: Excuse me, do
2: you speak? No. A new world of sound awaits you. A new world that requires all your magic powers. I think right quite i will be working on this sort of film. What did you expect? What's he doing to her? <coughs> I've never worked on a horror film before. Horror film? This is a Santini film. Don't call my film horror again. This is going to be a fantastic film. Brutal and honest.
1: I try my best to do my work, and it's never good enough.
2: Do what I tell you. Am I clear?
1: I'm just a whore to them. I feel so dirty and cheap. Who's there? Who's there? I will call the police. (laughs) never stop to ask why they hired you. It doesn't make you curious.
2: I think you're forgetting this is now your studio. <laughs>
0: And I'm joined by Will. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are we? Uh, we're doing good at the moment, although as, we, as we're recording this right, there, right now, it is a storm outside. So if, um, if, if especially just being an audio podcast, if you suddenly hear gusts of wind, you know why. Uh, but I think this will help today for the movie we're going to be talking about, where it's predominantly about sound. Mm. Yeah. So let's add the little atmosphere by having, having horrible, soundy wind effects. And you did joke that the, you live right next to a very busy road, so
3: if we hear cars, we know why. Yeah. If you hear police signs or ambulances, it's not that like someone's having an accident outside, it's my end, don't worry about it. Yeah, we go.
0: Um, So for those who are... So so I got you on because, uh, one, you suggested that let's do one, but then I thought to myself, okay, if we're going to do one together, I think we
3: need to do something that kind of reflects both our interests here because you are a sound designer. Yes, I am. Uh, So my official title that I give myself is Post Audio Engineer, Mm-hmm. Uh, but what that basically means is I work on everything behind a computer. So usually, mm. like, sometimes there's a range of things, but I mostly specialize in film and sound design for film. Mm. And for over three years now, I've been working predominantly in film, doing sound mixes, sound design, cleanup, dialogue, audio, you name it, I've done it. Yeah, so, every, so all the post-production, basically. All the post-production, whether I'm doing Foley and making sort of the sound effects that you hear when someone, like if someone's driving a car to just taking the audio that's recorded on set and cleaning it up and mixing it in with the uh, re-recorded sounds.
0: I've worked mostly in sound as well. And so it's so surprising sometimes how it's so important, how this, how to fix up that sound to make the world feel lived in. Um, because, um, and this is the weird thing for it. It's very bizarre because sound to me is like one of the most important things of a movie, because if you can't hear it well, you're not going to be immersed in it, but it doesn't feel like it gets the same amount of
3: respect as someone like a cinematographer or a director. No. Yeah. It's like really, I always say like sound design is, is seventy five percent of the film. Mm. It's a really big chunk of what really adds because you have to like you have to build a world where the um, film is set, and you have to add all these little touches and these impacts to drive points home. Like if we got a real sound of let's say someone punching someone, mm. it's not going to be impressive, and you're not going to feel the effect and the impact and violence of it. That's why we have sound design and sound bits to touch up on that and make mm. it really, really drive home. Um, I wanted to ask, actually, from some of the movies you've worked on,
0: were there any challenges in your sound design? Like, were there any moments you sat there going, to, this is going to be difficult, what can I
3: do? What, what kind of problem scenarios have you had as a sound designer? Uh, as a sound designer, the most sort of, like, problematic things is when I get, like, I always say that I prefer doing fantasy and... Mm um science fiction and the films where you have to use your imagination a bit because obviously there you get to play around you have a little bit of breathing room but films that are more set sort of realistic they're the ones I can sometimes struggle with sometimes because it's like there's not a lot of creativity that I can have and a lot of times the um the director or the producer will just say yeah but I just kind of want to keep it simple and so I feel like in more realistic films I'm a bit restricted Sometimes this is a thing, like we as sound designers have
0: to be the one to provide them with a new energy because the director and the writers and everyone else who's maybe coming in afterwards, even the producers and other people by sitting there going like, I don't know how to approach the sound design for this. And they will usually say, like you said, like, keep it simple. Um, we want
3: a little bit of this, but they don't know how to describe it. So we yeah. have to do quite a bit of heavy work, don't we? We we basically act as like translators sometimes. We have to mm. find the, like, we have to, like, you understand the common language, now like we want this to be like, like really, uh, you know what I mean? I'd be like, okay, I understand. (laughs) What is uh? (laughs) Yeah. And you have to just go, okay, so I'm assuming what he might want is something like this. And therefore I will try and implement this technique to that, that effect.
0: Which is why sound design, in most cases, is probably the most creative approach in some Mm. of the things there. Yes, you have editing, which provides a different thing, and you have the cinematography, but sound as a whole is the final step of making your very own unique creativity because you don't actually, unless the director's also been a sound person before... Um, which is rare actually, but if they have been a sound person before or they're very into audio, it's very difficult to sort of have them express exactly what they want. Yeah, definitely. So I've had you on that because I've said, like, right, since you are a sound designer, I wanted to think of movies that really played with sound design. And this happens to be uh, Bavarian Sound Studio by Peter Strickland, uh, a 2012 psych- British psychological horror about, uh, about a Foley artist and sound designer who goes slowly mad after trying to do the sound design for a 1970s Jallo movie. Uh, this is the first time you've seen the film. So what do you think about it?
3: I really like it. I mm. really like. It's a more mod. It has elements of classic horror, mm. but it also combines more, more recent horror sort of horror elements that make it a bit more sort of supernatural and eerie mm. and uh, otherworldly. And mm. as a sound design, there's a lot of things where it speaks to my heart. Where I'm just like, okay, yeah, I've, I've had to do that before. That's great. And if you, especially if you're like a audio gear nerd, per se, yes, this is just like heaven for you you get to see all this vintage 70s gear like watkins copycats and red mm. revox uh, devices and agro all this all this really cool stuff and it's just a treasure tove of just microphones and yeah. especially toby jones's performance where he um like you know he's all these like uh, one character says to him it's like you've got all these like little names for your microphones and stuff it's like yeah we do we yeah. know these things like we know these words and these little key details where people just come in and go it's like oh that's just a cool professional looking microphone it's all mm. thin and metal and we're like yeah no that's just an akg c61 etc and it's just <laughs> it just speaks to me on a more personal level but it's also a great film for mm. also just non-audio people as well yeah it, it feels it it
0: does well for, uh, well as a sound nerd you can see like oh, oh this' is using particular thing and also that it shows that the directors uh, themselves actually did do a little bit of the research and really looked into the older mechanics of what would be something from the 70s. I mean, this movie actually started off as a version in 2005 as a short film, and then expanded onto this afterwards. So he really... it also, if you look at any of other Peter Strickland's work in future, he really does love sound design.
1: It started as a a joke. I entered this competition for Cobra Beer. We had to do, like, a one-minute iden. So with the Bowman Brothers, we did them these foley artists from the kind of the William Castle period doing that kind of schlocky horror film. After we shot Kotlin Varga, I thought, actually, we can go somewhere else with this. We can go somewhere mu- much much darker. But also, I think just doing the opposite of a film where a film hides all the mechanics, it's all about the illusion, this, this was the opposite, really. Look into how we are complicit in violence, but without being didactic about it. About it. Look at performance. Look at the physicality of sound, how you physically your, your throat hurts after screaming so much. all these elements you know the vegetables you know that's, that's, that's like a physical manifestation of of that sound how sound was when it was analog how you had dubbing charts how you had tape loops which were physical all that equipment in a room which now you can put on one app probably.
0: What? So let's actually start by working with the beginning of the movie, looking at Toby Jones himself, uh, because Toby Jones he is he's he's basically a British he's basically a British sound engineer who is hired by an Italian studio who has to fly all the way to Italy to do this piece. Um, like he was almost like personally asked to do it. So he then goes over to Italy to uh, almost like a hired gun, but with like no connection, doesn't even know what he's doing. And um, he's kind of thrown to the deep end of that. How do you feel? Like, especially the scene that catches me first is the first scene when he goes to when he goes to the receptionist, and every everyone there kind of treats him in a very weird way. They treat him like crap, but also treat him like. And some people treat him like he's
3: the golden goose, and it's very peculiar. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a bit more like object, it's objectification where yeah. he's like, he's basically only been hired for his services as a, you know, a really good sound designer. Whereas, yeah. you know, whenever people try and have a like a nice conversational communication, obviously they're doing a lot of the legwork and a lot of the lead work and wanting it to sit it in their own way and not giving uh, Toby Jones' uh, Gildroy yeah. a just chance to speak. Like a really, like he's also like very timid as well. Mm. And I think they're playing into that, and they're obviously they're these big, rash Italian characters who are probably mm. like, you know, they don't, they ha- they say what they feel and stuff like that. And because of that, they're using it to sort of lead and steer the conversations, and you know, almost treating, treating kind of Toby Jones' character like a really nice piece of equipment, where it's like, it's great that we have you here, but we personally we're not going to think give too a huge amount of what you think. We just kind of we paid you to do a job, and you come here and do that. Anima di Cristo santifica
2: anche me. What's your problem? What's your problem? i
1: not do this stuff.
2: Gilderoy, you're here to do a job. Now you do what I tell you. It is just a film. You're part of it. You can see how all this is put together.
1: What's your problem with this? Maybe it's best i go home. Gilderoy, let me just
2: tell you what it is to be a professional. It's very simple. You cooperate. You don't question. You don't argue. You don't look at your watch. You just did the work you're told to do and keep your personal opinion where it belongs. Am I
0: clear? There's moments where he discusses and actually sort of says, like, well, we don't actually... Uh, like he would, he'd have an idea, and so like maybe we should approach it this way, or do we need this, or do we actually need that? And he's instantly shut down, uh, particularly by the director, who is an absolute caricature. Um, he is the ultimate caricature of what the auteur director is, even though he's making quite literally schlock. He's making the most grotesque kind of movie. And I love the scene where he talks about and mentions the idea, like, it's like saying where Toby Jones says what it is. It's a horror movie. And he says, like, don't you dare call oh, this a horror movie. This is this is a dra- this is a violent melodrama. This is a th- other words
3: other than the word horror mm. because it feels like horror is kind of a dirty word. Yeah, cuz he has he says like he says a lot, like this is a Santiago. Like he's the really he's a character type of that sort of director who has his vision, if you will. Yeah. Mm. And you can't put his vision into defined genres and Stuff mm. like this, so he gets really offended. Obviously, when Toby Jones is like, "I've not really worked on a horror film before." It's like it's not a horror film. It's this. It's this. It's this standard, and therefore, like Toby, obviously when Toby Jones' case, it's like, "Okay, yeah, that's fine." Okay, I'm sorry,
1: S- slip of the tongue. What's going on? Just another scene with Veronica. Can I use her imagination? On? Speaking of scenes, I was going to ask you what about the film. Hey, what do you mean? Like,
2: just to know a bit about what happens. No, Santini's uh, busy. It's okay. This. It's okay. This is a very specific vision. But you must help me, all? It's something I want you to respect. it's it's not that, it's just, I've never worked on a horror film before. Horror film? This is not horror film. This is not horror film. This is a Santini film. True. Santini film is violence, I know. But this is This is the life. This is, life. This is a part of the human condition. Please, please, Gilderoy, don't call my film horror again. Don't worry, it's okay.
0: My question is, do you, do you think that this is, well, I wouldn't say it's an accurate representation, but do we feel like this is somewhat of an exaggerated sort of semi-autobiographical idea of how
3: filmmaking is at this point? Uh... I'd say, yeah, to an extent. Obviously, I feel like the circumstances that our lead has been put in are very, very, like, extreme circumstances. Like, mm. a lot of the time, you wouldn't fly out um, to different countries uh, unless, like, you know, everything was paid for. Mm. Uh, there's another point in the movie where I can get to that. But, um, like, obviously, like, he's a British sound designer who's very timid, and he's obviously in this, he's in Italy, he's in this studio where everyone mostly speaks Italian. yeah. Uh, But for the most part, as a representation role of a sound designer, I'd say almost, yeah, Mm. almost... That's, that's what I can describe. <laughs> it does feel like a moment where it's like, you know,
0: because the sound is it's weird because in this case, the sound design is incredibly important in the movie. It's the it's the big flux of it. It's the big thing. And the director mm. is overseeing a lot of it, which is almost kind of I wouldn't say it's rare, but he's there every day in the studio, almost checking on him that he's not going to fumble this, uh, this, this exact thing. He is, he's almost like a Kubrick in Hmm. his design where Kubrick was famous for, um, literally just sort of overseeing everything and making, and sometimes he would do multiple takes of things just because he wasn't happy with one slight movement. Um, and, say, and, and same with also Terry Gilliam. There's a whole bunch of famous directors who are just saying like, we've got to do this again because this is not, this is not how I do it. No. Um, so could we say that the Italian film, the Italian director is kind of that
3: vehicle? Like he represents that. Yeah. 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 Cause he definitely, he comes in and he has these ideas and, you know, mm. these things that he wants to implement. And he's always like, basically, again, as I like go into the idea that uh, Toby Renshaw's character is objectified, he's coming in yeah. to make sure that his thing that he's paying for is working mm. and that he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Sound design is a very fudged up uh,
0: position. And so, if we have to admit, like, this is a weird job trying to explain to people what your job is to a point, like, yeah, fix sound. It's like, so it's this, this, and this. What do you do? Oh, I also like destroy vegetables to make, to make trying to find the perfect sound of wind, or we do, or or, or we're trying to, or we're trying to make sure something sounds a little bit more like this when really it sounds like this. And for most people's ears, like, that sounds like fine. It's like, no, it's
3: not fine. No, it's not right. It's not right. I, I notice it. And they're like, no, it's fine. Like, they won't notice. It's like, I notice someone else will notice
0: and you know what that's and that's again that's leading into the whole thesis of the movie almost this obsessiveness to be sure you get it done properly and right to the standards that you want and that's toby jones slowly becoming obsessed with trying to get this movie done properly
2: how was it can you play it again giovanni
0: The obsession is basically sound designers have to be very nitpicky and obsessive because it needs to be sure that it sounds right. And when a, mo- and when a movie does have bad sound design, you can tell.
3: Yeah. You can, you, there's, I was speaking to someone like this the other day where basically there's mm. very rare movies with bad sound design. Yeah. yeah it's well, very rare mainstream movies with bad sound design.
1: Mm. Sound
3: is such a crucial part that you can only really ever get right with smaller details and things. Mm. Um, and you know, because obviously, when you're in the studio, you're obsessively, you're obsessively trying to get the right thing for everything. And obviously, like there's some films where sound design may be a bit more easy process or a bit more complicated process. But nevertheless, mm. you're trying to, you know, you get it to a standard, and you have to meet that standard. If you can't, you can't fall underneath it. And yeah, it, and that requires then
0: these weird, tiny obsessions like what we talked about at the very beginning with things like uh, having the different kinds of microphones, things that work, different, te- different pieces of equipment, w- walking through town and going, that's a weird sound. Let me record, record that. that. Yeah. <laughs> and just getting a sound library up and ready. And it's, a, it's it becomes this one, it's become this wonderful hobby that turns into, and it's interesting that this sort of weird sort of thing is now a job.
3: Definitely. Or or speaking of, like, it being a hobby, um, there's scenes where Toby Mm. Jones comes back and he listens to recordings he has from home. And he'll say, Mm. like, doorbell being recorded on Nagro recorder with AKG C96. And it's just, like, two minutes of just this doorbell being pressed. And it's because he enjoys the sound of it. and Especially, I think, for him as well. That's his escape when he comes back from the studio. He's, like, he's, you know, he's listened to all this... You know, horrible noises, brain splattering, people falling out of windows. And he comes home and he's like, I like this doorbell sound. And we've done that. Like, there's moments where
0: if we really like the idea, the sound of something, we kind of say, like, do we have something we can record this with? Because it's nice. It's a nice thing to have in your library. Mantle clock, Nagra 4D tape
1: recorder, and AKG C61 microphone.
3: I've, done, I've, it's, I've been in the exact same position as Toby Jones has, where yeah. my um, a relative I knew had an old Bakelite rotary phone. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, do you mind if I come with more my equipment and I just record this? Like, I'm just going to record, like, me picking it up, putting it down, uh, doing the dials on it, you know, getting its ringer with its base plate, putting it on a piece of wood, taking it, the base plate off the piece of wood, and just having it, like, t- taking it off and getting the actual two bells and just recording them. And yeah. I was like, do you mind if I just do this? Like, and they're like, oh, why? Like, it's just a phone. I'm like, yeah, but it sounds nice. And I like I'm- to get, yeah. And it's really pleasing. <laughs> It's weird. It's like, it's, like, it's like we're hoarders of sound. We're like, you never know when we need a
0: rotisserie, <laughs> a rotisserie phone. We don't know when we need this. We don't know when we need that That, that clinking sound. We never know when you need it. Yeah. But it's very handy to have.
1: I didn't know that you could change my voice so much. Have you ever heard yourself in one of these before? you normally do Quarter inch, is quarter inch, whatever the film is you never stop to ask Santini or Francesco why they hired you it doesn't make you curious
3: other moments I really enjoyed was stuff like where he's sitting down and he's like he's playing with the Watkins copycat getting those really nice echoey delays on that woman's voice to make it really ethereal on me and that woman comes in and she's like oh that's really nice mm. that's good and obviously, she sees her, his future potential and what he can like, how he can enhance these recordings. Yeah. And that, that's a really stand up moment for me because I'm like, that's what kind of being a sound designer is about. It's mm. a very arty job. You have to have fun with it. And I feel like if your heart's not in the right place, it's not something you can necessarily easily do. Yeah, you can't go into a project as blindly as what Toby Jones has
0: done in this and not and and do it coldly because you need it shows that there needs to be a passion and when you do something right you kind of want that uh that
3: that that confirmation of saying like hey you did you did good you did good yeah definitely definitely you really want that sort of affirmation of like you know someone acknowledging your skill and your talents and your creativity yeah That's, that's all I live for man yeah, we <laughs> we just want to be loved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we just want to be loved.
0: We just want to be told that we're doing a good job and a pound the head.
2: <laughs> good job, Kithroy.
0: The overall look of the film is interesting because it's a period piece and really kind of feels like a period piece. And even, But the camera work
3: isn't following anything like a period piece. No, it isn't. It's all really modern shots and Mm -hmm. more sort of modern cinematography, especially before, obviously, when it's not the same screen, but obviously when a girl's in the focal web and she's doing this scream and the camera's pulling away, you can see her surrounded by darkness. That's (sighs) a really good modern sort of cinematography technique and looks Mm -hmm. fantastic. And it, it complements more the horror
0: of the sound that comes with it. Everything here seems about everything's visually shot to make the sound f- sound worse, yes. to sound nastier and haunting and scary. And a lot of the visual works with that is almost like there are some very clever transitions between scenes. Uh, I said the thing I didn't even realize we moved rooms, let alone anything else. Um, like every time it jumps back into the apartment and mm. going back and forth between the apartment and the studio and the apartment being this dank place and him just working at home, but also having moments where things are starting up on their own and things are moulding and melding together.
3: It's wonderfully shot. It's wonderful. It's really good. Yeah, it feels more like. Wesley when the cinematographer goes into it, even more thinking about, okay, well, how is this going to sound in the process, or well, what's that? What's our pre thought for how mm. this is going to be in the post production? And I say a similar sort of director who does that is Edgar Wright. Yes, yeah, I know it's a very like he's very sound centric, especially with stuff like Baby Driver. Yeah, yeah, like you can feel those quick close-ups that last about a second of like you know a gear lever being shifted or a, um you know brake pedal being pressed like mm. they weren't there just to be snappy and just to like to enhance the action but you can tell that he was thinking okay and now this sound effect is going to punctuate this moment and it's just nice to see again that peter strickland's done the same
0: thing here where he's saying like look this is a movie about sound so technically every th- sound has to come first and so we have our ideas. This is what we want to do for the sound. Every, I wouldn't be surprised reading if I read through the script and realized most of it was sound direction. Definitely. I wouldn't be surprised either. And it's like, this is how it works. And then all, all of it's sound direction. And then basically, he's given to the cinematographer saying, this is how it's going to sound like. You need to compliment this. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, okay. This is a, this is a turn.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Okay, here's my question. What do you think the movie's about? I said, in
3: terms of the actual Jalo movie that the director's making. So the, so the, the Jallo, the movie within the movie, what yeah. that's about. So mm. I feel like that movie's basically like, you know, it's about... Um, ZDs, it's like nuns and devils and witches. Again, the thing is you don't ever see it coherently and you don't yeah. see it on screen, which is, again, they really want to drive into sound design by only showing you the hearing, just showing you, only letting you hear the audio and never seeing what's played on screen. Mm. Apart from that, like, the opening credits, yeah. the opening credit seems like this, It on the surface. It seems like a horror piece with like Italian, yellow horror piece with, um, you know, like really grotesque scenes and pretty much almost bordering on the lines of torture um, pornography mm. i would say yeah so there's these really like there's these uh, scenarios in the film which you're like you've not just thought of that after the house chance in terms of the narrative you've been really focusing on it like you know mm. witch's hairs being pulled sister nun sisters falling out of uh, windows and things like that mm. so yeah it's just obviously i feel like we don't really ever get a clear explanation from santini about what this film's supposed to be but from Toby Jones and obviously the audience perspective, it's just this really grotesque horror piece. The more you look, the
0: more the thing continues, the more curious you have the movie. But you, but because it's out of context, like, it, it, I think it's almost better that way that we never find out about what the film's about, because Definitely. what it kind of does is, I think this improves the very most important thing, is the because we don't see any of the visuals. I feel like all the sound design has improved into it. I mean, there's one famous scene as it's almost on the poster, where you have the uh, you, you have what what looks like one of the female leads, doing this horrendously terrifying scream into the mic, and that long take of her eyes bulging out and just trying to recreate this, literally this death call. Mm. Sounds more terrifying if we imagine where it's connected to than if we actually saw the image that the sound was coming from. Hello again and welcome to the Enigmatic Insert where I will take you aside and help analyze any key terms and theories that we may stumble upon in our review. Now one of the elements that I adore about sound is how people respond to it. As we were discussing before, it plays a very key part in developing a cinematic soundscape ideal to get the right reaction to a scene. But how does that work? Well, this can be examined through a branch of psychoacoustics, the science of auditory psychology. This is the linking point between how the physics of sound affects the human ears and the perceptive reaction caused by those sounds to the human brain, whether it's volume, frequency, pitch, repetition, localization, or even cultural impact. Hearing is not a purely mechanical phenomenon, but seen as a multi-sensory experience, enhanced by how it is transformed into physical and neural actions, and then translated into established meaning of that sound. Sometimes a reaction to a sound is through a reflex or conditioning, such as a fire alarm. Others are emotionally connected or have musicality to them, such as hearing your favorite song on the radio. But others can cause a reaction that can spark imagery, which is what sound designers focus on. A person can associate key sounds with a physical image of a place, object, person, or event, having our minds already connect them together and provide an image to prepare ourselves of what is ahead, establishing a sense of reality and knowingness. Cinema doesn't necessarily do that. As many of you know, a lot of sound is recorded later using alternatives to give the perception of a sound rather than an accurate representation. Kara Scott James in their book, Sound Design for Moving Image, From Concept to Realization, describes this process of developing soundscapes as sonic deconstruction and sonic sculpting. Suggesting that through breaking down what makes a sound connect to the viewer and then changing its source while still maintaining the same profile such as pitch, frequency and texture creates a whole new hyperreality that connects with more clarity. This, alongside repetition, culture, and our own experiences, can then trick our brains to believe that the sound of a smashing melon on a stone slab in a studio is a human skull cracking after a terrible long fall. The audience can hear those terrible sounds from the film within a film without the visual, but can still imagine the worst. We'll continue with this further, discussing how our own fears also add to
3: the terrifying imagery connected to these soundscapes well, I think that we all have like an inbuilt fear of the unknown mm. and the idea like we only get told about what these things are of context and we have mm. to, our imaginations have to imagine oh, what kind of film is this what mm. are they actually making? What is, cause obviously, And then you go into when they're doing the Foley scenes as well, when they're making all these gory sounds by tearing up lettuces and yeah. squashing tomatoes ripping stems out and throwing mangoes on the floor to make these horrible, squishy sounds and stuff like this. Mm. And you're like, well, it gives you two thoughts. One, wow, this is really, you know, shocking mm. film that they're making. And two, all these people that are making it, apart from the main lead, are really desensitised to what they've been mm. making. Yeah. As well. Because there's those two Foley engineers, Massimo and Massimo, who just sort of like they come on and they just perform and they get it. They've done it like they do it like it's a routine routine at this point and it's habit and they know what to do. Yeah, it's like I say, look, we look this is a
0: Santini film. We've we've done this many a time. This isn't our first trip to the ballpark and that's scary thinking about how this is basically almost this is almost a commentary of the de- de- desensitization of some of her of, of horror and
3: toby jones is sort of there because it's the first time seeing seen like this is horrendous uh, toby jones's lead obviously hasn't done anything like this yeah. so and it shows in this behavior and you know his uncomfortableness when you do it yeah you know he misses cues because he's so shocked by what he's seeing but you know i've I've, it's rare in most horror films that like you do that amount of work to get that kind of effect. So mm. I, and everyone's attitude to it as well as their dialogue and they're talking about it makes it seem like it's really no big deal mm. except it's, it's gruesome and it's horrifying from, from like everybody, like from Toby Jones, point, we're seeing it as this really horrifying thing. So yeah. it's just, yeah, it's so, it's so desensitized where it comes off almost they're scary in themselves. Yeah, they become, they almost become the real monsters in this piece. Also, additionally, like he must be so, uh, like, confused about the narrative. And as a sound designer, as personally in my case, mm. your main job is kind of to enhance the narrative of the film. Mm. You're working to that story. You're not working on a technical level. You're going, okay, how can I make this scene more engaging for the audience? Yeah. So I feel like he must be so confused with doing his job. Mm. Like, with sound effects, yeah, okay, you can get a basic understanding of that, but he has no idea of the story, and so therefore I feel like this hinders his job a little bit. The Italians are very renowned for not recording any sound on set because
0: because they, they believe it's a quicker turnaround to just film everything and then add everything later, which is why if you look at movies from Italian films from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s in particular, everything's dubbed, everything's a sound effect afterwards. So and on top of that it does feel like he's not doing the movie in order either it's jumping back and forth so he's now the reason why he's probably feeling even more desensitized uh, not, not desensitized by it is because he's got the whole thing out of context yeah And so he's now doing like here's a stabby scene here is a shouty scene this is a death scene and this this is a this is the moment of dialogue mixed in with this in a different language nothing makes sense in context
3: and as you were saying before along like because you're saying like as he further goes into the film he got starts getting i wouldn't say used to it but more content with it more like he's kind of accepted his role yeah um and there's a really good scene that really emphasizes this where uh, it's someone falling out of a window, and the sound, um, the Foley artists, you know, they ruffle like a piece of cloth to get the sound of clothes falling down out the window, and then mm-hmm. they squash a mango. Yeah. And the first time they do it, Toby Jones goes, It sounds too watery. Can we get more of a ripe or firmer mango?
2: It sounds a little watery. Is there any fresh marrow? Bobina 2, Scena 25, Represa 5 strega sorprende Monica nel sonno e la lancia dalla finestra del dormitorio.
3: And now here's the question. That's a really ambigu- uh, ambiguous scene because there's two things. Like we do that as sound designers as well. Yeah. So I don't know if ever he's doing this from a performance and a job sort of point of view or whether he wants to get more of a realistic sound and grotesque sound because he wants to, he's desensitised dis- it by, to, to this at this point, and he's like, you know, trying to get more of the effect and the same mindset as his producer and other co-workers uh, yeah, and it's the thing as well. It's like obviously
0: as well from the first few days, you know, he's been basically been bullied by the director. So maybe by this point, it's now him trying to up his game and thinking like maybe, m- maybe I am being soft. Maybe I do need yeah. to think about this. Maybe I do need to take this more seriously because I am not because it, it's out, it's so out of my comfort zone that I feel like I should be embracing
3: this thing. Yeah, definitely. And especially when I think there's a scene as well where. Uh, one of the um, Italian voice dubbers Mm. uh, talks to him and you know she's saying to him like you can't you're not going to get what you want by just you know standing there and just sort of like complaining and being timid about it you need to in this in this place we need to be a bit more sort of brash and a bit more stronger and be like you have to really speak and shout your mind how
1: are you getting on with Santini all right really I overheard you trying to get your money back for the flight. If you talk to people like that, you'll never get anywhere in this place. Well, uh, I being rude. That's exactly it. You should be rude. Nobody pays money here unless they have to. I have asked several times. You don't just ask here. You shake your fists, you shout, you push these pigs until you get them into the corner. <coughs> Be careful with Santini. That baby smile is there for a reason. You don't see that,
3: and then after that, you notice there's a definite body language and change in his misdemeanour mm. uh, in the studio, where he's like, "No, we're going to do this," or you know, being a bit more what's the word, forward. And it's a fascinating It's a fascinating, almost turn
0: where we slowly where and this uh, turn into it and becomes this different person and it really becomes a different person as we slowly start delving into the end um i I don't know what to think about the ending um i feel like literally in the last 20 minutes of the movie the movie the movie shifts because he has Mm. what seems to be like a psychotic break that like i think is burnout overworking everything else just really putting his effort to make this damn movie good and he has this sort of mental breakdown where he's oh it's such a weird scene where he's going through the studio and there's entities and what feels like almost like a supernatural element to it and then the movie just goes back to
3: normal but then everything's in Italian yes I I like that scene I do like that scene because obviously it's it's a bit where afterwards he he feels like he's in a dream and then he goes into the studio and sees literally the moment before but on the projector yeah and he's on the other end of that door and I feel Mm. like that signifies this change into his position at the end where I feel like personally my kind of I'm not understanding of again it's very vague but my sort of takeaway from this end of the film is that obviously he's now become one of them and he's Mm he's repeatedly infinitely trapped in this loop because he's doing the same thing that he would do uh, to the people on the screen where like where he's deafening that girl to try and get a bad performance yeah. and in turn that girl's going I've had enough of this I don't want to be treated like that walks out and that yeah. cycle just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going where he's now part of the film in a way yeah, he's become part of the
0: process, and arguably and the scariest thing is he's now become just as or almost as bad or just as more so as the as the arrogant director.
1: My throat's better now.'ve moved on to Foley. Can I? Just once more. Which real? Forget the real. I just need to scream, that's all. I try my best to do my work, and it's never good enough. It always comes to the same thing. I'm just a whore to them. Nothing more. I said no. I said no
2: so many times.
1: kept touching me here I feel so cheap get I, I feel so dirty and cheap Stammo metterò in atto la mia vendetta e mostrerò a Santini qual è la vera maledizione you actually just want
0: to mention something. All the females in this movie, especially the female voice actors, are treated appallingly.
3: They are. They really are.
0: And it's also, I think leading to the idea of this sort of, it's a very seventies idea that, you know, the, the, the overtly just, you know, again, being a hired gun in this case, but in this case, the female characters who are doing the voiceovers and doing the dialogue and doing the screams are been, are having to relive a trauma mm. over and over again by reenacting this trauma because that is the art of dubbing. In this case, this is the art of dubbing or looping or ADR and
3: the act of ADR is a weird one. Yes, definitely. Like you have to pretty much, it's so, it's a it's a bizarre process um, mm. where like, obviously, the, the, again, the point you have said before, Italian films don't record with sound. It's just quite yeah. a quick turnaround. And um, obviously they have to put themselves into that mindset. And it comes to the point where you basically are part of that process and you are in line with the character and what's happening to them as well. Mm. Because it it is repeatedly you're repeatedly doing it. You're sat in a beef and if it's like a screaming scene and you're saying this, you're having to say it over and over and over until you're exactly right and your same motivation and delivery is there. Filmmaking,
0: especially if you're looking at some of the movies that are about strong subjects, it's the idea of presenting trauma to an audience. And the scary thing is once it's made, it's out there and people can see this trauma over and over and over again and this is where it could lead to like the desensitization or, or, re, or, or having this sort of terrible time with it and through the filmmaking process sometimes you are having to relive this horror, these things over and over again and it's a hard sit to think about and this is why I think what the female characters represent is the idea of film is about presenting ideas and themes and scenarios to an audience and it's about figuring out whether or not we, as an audience, want to see this, or we or want to see this presented to us. But do we want to keep reliving that again? Because now that's that now that's out. That's preserved. That movie's out there for everyone to see. So with Jallo movies, for example, which are famous for having incredibly nasty gore, do we want to keep watching that over and over again? I would become desensitized to it, or have or are we like the women saying, look, I don't want to live through that again. That was horrendous. I don't want to do that again. Especially things like the actors, actresses, voice actors. Anyone who has to keep doing this over and over again.
2: Beautiful long hair. And an face just like a ghost. It is a tragedy to lose hairs. How many more scenes like this? It's just, sorry, it's interrogations. These things happen, yes. This is history. And a film director must be true. I hate what they did to these beautiful women. Really, I hate it. But it is my duty to show, the world must know the truth. And see the truth. I end it. <laughs> hey, what? Um,
0: usually, I, I like to add some. I like to do something which is called the elevator pitch. Hmm. So, if we were going, if we if if we were going to pitch this to someone who's never seen this movie before,
3: in a couple of sentences, how would we do it? Um. Mine would require a person knowing a film, but I would say something like. Video drone, but with sound. Long the new flesh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be me. Uh, if, I had to, if I had to not use a film, I yeah. would say something like, "It's a really good obsessive horror look into the sound design industry and how like how hard it is to perform it."
0: Yeah. Personally, although oh, video drone, but sound
3: should should that should be the goddamn tagline that's, for this movie. It's video drone, but, but sound. sound. <laughs> that is like that's my main <laughs> takeaway from it. And it's like whenever I watch a film, I always try and compare it to another film. I'm just like, just has the same obsessive and desensitized qualities as video drone, but sound, and I love it. Oh,
0: that's absolutely excellent. And that what a way to end that. So, um, so yeah, uh, it's been, this has been lovely, and thank and thank <laughs> you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And so that's the end of our review of Peter Strickland's Barbarian Sound Studio and thank you all very much for listening to this lovely episode. This was a lot of fun to do and hopefully not only introduced you to this great film but also allowed a little more insight into the weird and wonderful process behind sound design. Will was a real delight and I'll likely bring him back on again for another Audiotastic Appreciation episode. Can't wait. Would you guys want me to bring in more film specialists and film roles as guests on the show? If so, please provide suggestions to us on social media. We always want to hear from other cinephiles and those in the movie industry, so please drop a comment. And with that, this essay is closed. And we'll return soon for another Not So Trash Review. See you all next time, cinephiles we Thank you for listening to this podcast episode and hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it around with movie lovers you know, maybe add a star rating or write a good review. All of this helps with the algorithm and provides us with more opportunities to reach the ears to a whole new bunch of bad film fanatics. Want to find out more about us? Then head over to our socials where we... Sneak peeks and up to date news on everything nostalgic and trashy. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages in the description. So please follow us. See you next time, cinephiles.